going to be reading some passages out of uh, Hebrews chapter 6. We're starting for the next three Sundays a new teaching series that I've entitled Putting First Things First. And I honestly and genuinely believe that in these next few weeks your life can be radically revolutionized. Do you know that anytime you get God's word in you, it will revolutionize your life? And I'm grateful that it doesn't happen once and it's done, but the scripture tells us that when we with unveiled face behold uh, the, the glory of the Lord, that he will transform us from glory to glory, and then he will take us from faith to faith. And so uh, it may have been good several years ago, but it's getting better. And uh, it may have been great yesterday, but it's better today. And the good news is that uh, tomorrow and next week, and if, and if God should tarry, the Lord should tarry, a year from now, it's going to be even better. And so I believe you're going to be radically revolutionized. And if you'll listen carefully, <clears throat> I know with what I'm about to say, you're going to think I'm going to talk about money, and I'm sure it will involve some of that. Uh, but but you got to get a whole wider view because the next few weeks, I'm going to share some things with you that's going to be highly detrimental to your poverty. Amen. I don't know about you, but if I have choice between poverty and blessing, I choose blessing. And so uh, I, I want you to listen carefully. This morning's going to be a long introduction. And when I mean by long, it's just long in the sense of it's just, you know, well, it's just, well, anyway, it's just long. But have you ever felt like you were doing everything right? Now listen to me carefully. Have you ever felt like you've done everything right? And, and something is still not working. I've been there. I, I, I have gone before the Lord and said, Lord, I feel like I'm doing everything I know to do uh, that's right before you, at least in as much as I am aware of it. There may be things I'm not aware of, but in as much as I am aware of everything, I feel like I, I, I've got it all together here, but something doesn't seem to be working. Now, as, as I say that, I don't want you to play games with me. Uh, if you're living... In obedience, and you're, you know, you're tithing, you're praying, you're reading God's word, you're following every known precept that has been shared or taught, you're not in any willful rebellion. And yet you would say, you know, I just feel like there's some blockages from the blessing of God or the provision of God coming into my life. I'd really like to understand why. Now, I'm going to be faithful no matter what. I mean, God has blessed me immensely, and I'm going to serve him and love him no matter what happens. If he were to cut off the pipeline right now, he could count on me to live my life all out for him. But truth of the matter is, he is true to his word, and there are answers and solutions in his word, and I believe that there can come blockages in our life that shut down different provisions and resources and assistances and blessings from God that, that, that we can address, but we just don't know how. For me, God has stirred some things in regards to building, you know, the house of God on, on John's Island out there. How many of you know that God loves to build churches? I, I don't think, you know, that's really something that has to be consternated about in the economy of God. He loves churches. His son came in order that he might establish the church. He wants houses built for his glory. Certainly there are timing issues and provision issues and these sorts of things. And even in our own story, we know that there have been miracle moments. I'm glad to be able to report to you that 
that there have been miracle moments in getting that property and seizing that property. Uh, We believe it to be God's will. I believe it to be God's will that there is a permanent location for a reflection of the vision and his will as it is demonstrated through Legacy Church. I uh, believe that in this process there's been some incredible favor that has come to us at moments. But I'm going to be perfectly honest with you and just say that there has also been a few moments along the way where I have been challenged, I have scratched my head over the will of God, and it seems as if that uh, there may have been some delays that I was not anticipating, maybe even a few closed doors here and there. And we all like to understand why it happens, when it happens, and how God works in it all. And I shared with you a few weeks ago what I entitled Planting a Cross. How many of you were, were here for Planting a Cross? I did not come to build a steeple. I came to plant a cross. If you weren't here for that, you can go to iTunes and you can catch up and you can hear the whole presentation. But for me, it was as if God was saying, if you'll put first things first, I will unleash my power and my blessing. Now, I believe that to be true for a church, but I want to look you in the eye and tell you this. If you will put first things first in your life, God will unleash his power, and his blessing in your circumstances. And uh, as I have endeavored to do that in a corporate way, it has been amazing to me how God has begun to speak some things to me. And the Lord showed me some things that uh, were important if we want to see him do the exceedingly abundant thing beyond that which we could ask or think. If we want to see God do exceedingly abundant things beyond what we could even conceive ourselves, then we're going to have to put first things first. Now, I did not put this on the screen, but you may want to write this down. I'm going to give you something that will seem so simple, but you may want to write it down so you don't forget something simple. To put first things first means that you must do the right action with the right heart, in the right order. Now, that seems pretty simple, doesn't it? I'll say it again. The right action, with the right heart, in the right order. If we will do these three things as a people, and if we will do these three things as individuals, I think you're going to begin to see God do some incredible over-the-top, exceedingly abundant things take place in your life. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, if you found Hebrews chapter 6, say, I got it. All right. If you didn't bring your Bible, they usually flash it on the screen overhead. But listen to this. Hebrews 6, 13, it says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. (laughs) You know how oftentimes we'll say, I swear to God, it's true. I guess the Lord goes, I swear to myself. It's true. Saying, this is what he said as he swore by himself. Saying, surely blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he, meaning Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater... And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Now, what the writer is saying there is this. He's saying that God spoke a promise to Abraham. 
And when God swore on himself and made that statement, it settled it. Can, can you see that? When God says it, it settles it. Amen. It used, I, I remember the old bumper sticker that used to say, you know, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. No, God said it, that settles it. Now, I understand faith plays a part in all of this, but, but what he's saying here is when God swears an oath, you can count on it. It ends the disputes, verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise... This is what's cool, is that we, 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 we are a promised people, but God wants to do things even more abundantly. Now, I can't say that I'm there, but it says that God said that. So that settles it. All right. You're following me. More abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, or the unchanging nature of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Verse 18, that by two immutable things or unchanging things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Great passage. We're going to come back to it here in just a moment, but it's my introduction to putting first things first, and I've called the lesson this morning, Qualified to Multiply. Qualified to Multiply. God is about multiplying. There are over, I counted them, 106 references to God multiplying things in us or around us. Now just listen to me for a moment because I'm going to go through a list here that I just scratched out very quickly. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He said to Abraham in his promise, he said as he took him out and he pointed to the stars in the sky, he said, I'm going to multiply your seed like these stars. When Moses was delivering the children of Israel, the scripture tells us that God multiplied signs and wonders. In the book of Acts, it's a great book when God's moving in his church, it says that in the church or in believers... That they were multiplied. In other words, the church multiplied in how many people participated in church. And then it also said that the word of God multiplied. Jesus told us that when seed is sown, specifically meaning the word, but I believe seed can encompass several different things. He said that if it's sowed correctly, it could come back to us 30, 60, or 100 fold. Paul said to the Macedonian church, When they were giving offerings, even out of their poverty, he said that their return would be multiplied. Peter and Jude both wrote in their writings, they said to the churches, they said, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let me tell you, money's a great thing, but there have been moments that I've needed multiplied grace and peace. Amen. Amen. And then there are even occasions we read where people have lost things. For instance, the Bible tells us that after Job had lost all of his family and all of his possessions, that when he prayed for his friends, the Lord multiplied back his restoration. It says in the book of Proverbs that when the thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold. Isn't that amazing? Multiplied restoration. So God desires to do works of multiplication in our life. Isn't that good news? 
Isn't it good news that God just doesn't want to add things to you, but he wants to multiply things to you? I, I mean, that's what Deuteronomy 28 was all about, where the scripture tells us that the blessing would come upon you and it would what? Overtake you. I believe that's, that's just a picture of multiplied blessing. But it is linked to understanding how that takes place. Now, I want to say this again, and this is just introduction. Uh, hey, guys, turn me down just a little. I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm fixing to holler, all right? So, thank you, thank you. Can you still hear me real well? All right, because if I holler at you, then it just won't break your eardrum. Now, remember what I said, though. I said right action, right? It is linked to right action, right heart, and what? Right action, right heart, and right order. If one of those things is missing, then it can shut down the multiplication effect that God wants to do in your life. Now listen to me. If you have a right action, for instance, I know a lot of people, and we're going to talk about this more in the weeks ahead, I know a lot of right people who do the right thing, but if they do it with a bad attitude, are you following me? They wonder why it's not working. Well, I did what I was supposed to do. Well, that, that doesn't matter. Right action, right heart, in right order. There are many people who think their heart's right, but then they don't have proper action. And so you can think your heart's right, but if you don't do right action, then you're shutting down the multiplication happening that God may want to do in your life. So you can't say, well, I got two out of three, or I do one real well, and the other two are a little shaky. No, it's got to be right action, right heart, and right order. Now, we're going to spend some time, and we'll touch on all of those at some level. But mostly, I'm going to deal with the third area, because we all know that obedience is important, right? Right action. I, hopefully, I don't have to spend a lot of time on, on obedience issues. If you're not obedient, if you're in disobedience, then you're shutting down what God can do in your life. Now, if you've got a, a wrong heart, the same thing can happen. I mean, if the heart's wrong or, or, or if it's even misunderstood or even uh, uh, misanalyzed, it will still shut things down. I think those things are relatively well known in the body of Christ at large. But the third area, which is the area of right order, is the one that caught my attention. Because when it comes to order, I'm not sure all of the time we're making application like it needs to be applied. So, so we should obey, we should do it in the right spirit, but we need to make sure that we're doing it in the right order that it is supposed to take place. Now, this may seem like Sunday School 101, but we've got to cover it lest we get to the other lessons and you don't get what I'm talking about. Write this down. God is first. I'm going to let that sink in for just a minute. God is first. Now, I know when I say that because I received amens. I know people go, well, sure, God's first. God is first. Seems silly, pastor, to even mention something like that to us. Certainly elementary. I mean, you would think most people would know that if you're going to acknowledge God, God would be first. God's overall. I mean, for God to be God, he's the big guy. He's the man upstairs. He's the one calling the shots. He's got the whole world in his hands. I mean, we got it. God's first. But let's just dwell on that for a moment. 
What does it mean to be first? Well, I think there are several definitions, but for the sake of time, this is the one I want to give you. It is the beginning place of a series of events. The beginning place of a series of events. Now, although first means that obviously you're number one, it does not mean that it's just solo or an island all to itself. Now, again, I understand there's no one who is like God. He certainly stands alone. He was before us and he'll be after us as well. But nothing can be first unless there is something else to be first of. Are you following me? In other words, we can say God is first, but it's meaningless unless there is something he is first of. So so first means the beginning or the foundational place. Now, I'm going to give you some illustrations along the way, and maybe it will make sense even in their silliness. Let's take, for an example, the area of design and construction. We know there are things you must do first before you can build, let's say, your house. Now, let's get straight to construction. We all know that the first thing you do before you build a house is you lay a foundation, right? You pour in the cement usually around here, and, and, you, and you lay in your foundation, and from the foundation, you build everything else that's going to take place in that house. Well, let's just say, for an example, that we choose to no longer acknowledge the foundation as the first place. Let's just say we want our house, and so we just start building our house. Now, now this is what's really going to be convoluted here. Now, get a hold of this. It's not that we don't think the foundation is important. We just aren't convinced we want to do it first. Are you following me? So I'm not arguing with you that foundations have to be in homes. I'm not going to argue with you that a foundation is an important part of a home, but I'm not sure I want the foundation to be first. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get all my subs together. I'm going to get all the construction people. I'm going to start building the walls, you know, doing the interior, getting the roof up, wiring it, doing everything I do, and I got it all up, and then I say to myself, that's right, but a foundation is important, so now I'm going to lay the foundation. Let me ask you this. Do you think that house is going to work? Come on, talk to me. Do you really think it's going to work? No. Why? Because nothing was built on a foundation. Now, in the person's mind, was a foundation going to be there? But the problem was the foundation was not first. And because the foundation was not first, the rest of the house did not stand. Now listen to me very carefully. God is first. Now here's what happens in a lot of people's lives. A lot of people build their life. And it's not that they don't think God is important. Or not that they wouldn't say that he has a primary part in their life. But they build their life and they do things and then all of a sudden they go, yeah, yeah, God needs to be a part of this and and God needs to be an important part and I love the Lord and I acknowledge how important God should be in my life. And they've got all these things built and then they say, so we're going to get God in this. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And this is the deception. Because all of a sudden we decide to get God in it and yet it still crumbles We say to ourselves, how can that be? How can it be that the house that I was building, this life that I was building, suddenly crumbles? God was in it. I acknowledged it as a foundation, Him as a foundation, and yet it still crumbled. Listen to me. It's not just acknowledging the importance of the foundation. It's understanding, listen, God is 
Are you following me? So you can have God involved in something, but if he's not first, that doesn't necessitate everything being built as it should be built. If you skip first, or if you put what should have been first in another place in a series of events, the building will not turn out as you had imagined it. God requires that he's first. Now, there are so many verses in the Bible to talk about this. It defies really me reading it, but I always feel like the word is what really nails all this down. So, so guys, do you, have, do you have those verses on the screen? Instead of me running it down, post Exodus 20, verse 3. This is in the middle of the Ten Commandments. How many of you know the Ten Commandments are biggies? Listen to what he says. You shall have no other gods before me. How many of you know he's saying what? I'm first. Nothing comes before me. I'm going to be first, even in this series of events. Go to the Philippians passage, please. Philippians 2. Therefore, God also has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. So again, we're just finding a New Testament reference to God being what? First. And then finally, Revelation 1 verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who was and who was, excuse me, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jump to verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the and the last. Now, I share that with you because I understand that that all of us in this room can can grab a hold of that theoretically. Theoretically and, and, and doctrinally, everybody was sitting there shaking their head. I'm going, God is first. And everybody's going, yeah, pastor. Okay, and, and so theoretically, we've all got a hold of that. But hear me now, God demands, listen, and I'm going to use the word expect, demands this practically. See, to be first in theory is nice. It's nice on paper. But in order for things to work in the kingdom, it transmits from paper into obedience. See, God blesses not theory. He blesses obedience. God doesn't multiply theory. He doesn't multiply just your good heart. He multiplies obedience so listen to me he doesn't multiply just right action nor does he multiply just right action and right uh, heart but he multiplies right action right heart and right order you're following me now now let me i'll prove it to you think about when adam and eve were first created god said you could eat and have everything that's in front of you but one thing we all know the story right the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God gives them everything. Think about this. Everything but one thing. Now, why, why would God do that? Let's just analyze this. Why, why would God just put one thing they had to keep their hands off of? Why? It's because God was reminding them that he was in charge. Are you following me? He was placing this tree 
in the midst of their garden. And literally, it was a test of lordship. It was a test of firstness. That's not a word if you go to your dictionary or you do spell check. It won't be there. Firstness. I just made that up. I added it to my dictionary now in my computer. Firstness. It was a test of firstness. At the very beginning of time, he says, you aren't going to, I'll let you have anything and everything you want to do, but this is what you're going to keep your hands off of. And the reason he did that is because he wanted to see if obedience would prevail. Now, I put this on the screen. Here's a key thought. God always provides opportunities for you to demonstrate his firstness. Write that down. Because you know what? A lot of Christians and, and probably folks in this room have a right heart. They're doing some right actions. But I'm telling you, God is giving you trees and other tests to find out if what you say with regards to firstness is indeed what you would really do. He will always do that. Opportunities constantly will come our way. To demonstrate firstness. Most sin in our life is a battle over who or what will be first. Most sin is. In the account of Lucifer falling, you know, uh, Satan's proper name was Lucifer. And uh, according to Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, you'll find in that passage, uh, Lucifer, who was at one time uh, given a most prominent position in heaven... He was one of the most beautiful of all the angels. But the problem was, Lucifer's problem was, and we could identify it as pride or some other things, rebellion. These things certainly play into it. But but we can also narrow it down to this. He he didn't want to be second fiddle anymore. He wanted to be first. He said, I will be like the most high. I will exalt myself. I will arise. And, And what he failed to realize was this. And that is, as second fiddle, to God, he was more beautiful and brighter than any other being in all the universe as second. The minute he wanted to be first, everything in Lucifer's world collapsed. Are you following me? He now the devil. It not good to be the devil. So, so in his aspiration to be first in line, he loses what he literally had in abundance as second in line. That's a lot of people's problems. They think they do better when God is placed further down their list. When in reality, if they made him first, they would have far more blessing and beauty and possibility. You see, we think God is important, so I'll put him somewhere in the top ten. But the question is not, is God, does God make your top ten? The question is, is God first? See, Adam and Eve could have ruled the world. But they lost their garden because they couldn't keep God first. Some of you have promises and destinies in God. Some of you have been spoken over prophetically. You've got things that God wants to do for you in the future. I'm telling you, you you have incredible, incredible promise that God wants to multiply to you. But the problem is you can't rule all of that because you can't keep him first where you're at. Are you following me? Why, Why would God let you move into expanded, multiplied ways and him not be first in that area? All he'd be doing is multiplying your disorder and your dysfunction. 
They embraced, Adam and Eve embraced what I call, I made this word up too. I'm going to write a dictionary one of these days. And they embraced a Luciferian attitude. Say, so how do you spell that, Pastor? Spell it any way you want. I just made it up. A Luciferian attitude, which challenged God's placement in their life. Listen to me. You don't have to be demon-possessed to act out of a Luciferian spirit. I mean, I mean, you don't have to spin your head around 360 degrees and vomit green pea soup and levitate your bed for everybody to be convinced you've got some devilment going on. We can confess Jesus theoretically, but still place him in a lower position practically. Now, this is just introduction. Because, you see, ultimately I want to get you to a multiplied place. We can say we love the Lord, but we've not implemented the revelation of the place of first first is not just a demand that we obey god because he can kill us or make our lives miserable but first is about why your life and your promises and the blessing has opportunity to multiply in your life god multiplies when he's first god isn't going to multiply when he's second third tenth twelfth or fifteenth Are you following me? He will not multiply and bless that which he is not first over. Very important point. Now, here's the thought. It's on the screen. Until he is first in reality, we are not qualified to multiply. So all the stuff we can talk about and share and all the rest, we're not qualified to multiply until he becomes first in reality. So hear me now. You can have a right action. And you can have a right heart. And that's a good thing because that's the journey to where you need to be. But the key that God's looking for is, have you put me in the right order? Now, let me give you a biblical example here real quick. And it's the guy we talked about in our text here in the book of Hebrews. It's Abraham. Abraham is the example of multiplication. Abraham is a very important person in in the scripture. Because Abraham is one of the patriarchs that not only finds a prominent place under an old covenant, but we find his name being mentioned as well under a new covenant. And, and in the text that I read to you out of Hebrews chapter 6, where God says, surely I will bless and I will multiply, I swore an oath, I cannot change. All these things were speaking to the patriarch Abraham, but notice they were being applied to the New Testament church. So Abraham, let's talk about Abraham. Abraham was only the second man after Adam with whom God made a covenant, a specific covenant. Now, a covenant was a promise that God would do certain things as long as the provision of the covenant was met or adhered to. A covenant, the best way I can describe covenant is by using the word contract. And that doesn't really do it justice. Because a, a contract in our modern day society is an agreement between two people. That, that they will do certain things and we will do certain things and both of us will meet the obligations of the contract and whatever we're contracting for will come to pass because both of us are bound to the legal ramifications of what we put our signature on that contract. Well, a covenant is a lot like that contract. A covenant, especially when you make covenant with God, because how many of you realize God is always a blesser, he's a lover, he, it, it's, a, it's always a better deal to go into covenant with God than even with your neighbor. 
Because God is faithful. How many of you know that? I've been in contracts where people weren't faithful. And I got burned. Even in a contract. But when you contract or covenant with God, I mean, you can count on it because he's faithful. But even within the covenant, God has certain expectations or responsibilities on you and me in order for the promise of the covenant to come to pass in our life. Now, hear me. When we get to the New Testament, it is ratified forever through Jesus Christ, but there are still expectations that exist within that covenant. Now, before we get into all of the different aspects of covenant, and I may not even get into that, I just want to tell you what the blessing of the covenant is. Because this is what God said to Abraham. I'm going to break it down into three areas. God said to Abraham, out of this covenant, he told them these three things. Number one is there was going to be elevation. He said he was going to lift him up. He was going to make him the father of many nations. He was going to give him incredible influence and visibility. There would be exaltation. There would be notoriety. Let me tell you, Abraham was one of the richest men in the Bible. In fact, in, in modern day finances, he'd be considered mega wealthy today. Anytime somebody looks at you and says that God's against wealth, you just point him to Abraham. I mean, the dude had it. So Abraham, elevation. Second part of the covenant was possessions. Now, now the enemies around him had uh, at one time stolen his possessions, but God had redeemed that back to him and uh, redeemed it back even to his children. And the Lord restored those things, but God's involved in this as well. A part of the blessing, there are intangible things to the blessing and there are tangible aspects to the blessing. There's peace and joy and hope and confidence and fulfillment and contentment. And these things are incredibly important. Those are things money can't buy. But at the same time, God wants to help in the financial area as well. He just doesn't want us to worship the finances because if we worship the money, then, then if money's number one, who's not number one? Say, you got to keep these things in order. And then finally, number three was dominion. These are the three elements. Dominion. Dominion was that God was promising him that he would exercise rule and authority over greater areas. Now that is, in a synopsized form, the Abrahamic covenant. That these were the promises that would come to Abraham and to his seed. Now why is this important for us to know? Now look at the screen. Number one, these were the areas multiplication would take place in his life. Now, I want you to think about this. God wasn't just trying to bless him a little bit in these areas. He wanted to multiply. He said, in, in multiplication, I will multiply. Isn't that incredible? God's saying, I want to I do things that are exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ask or think. How many of you have been around church long enough, particularly our circles, and we've heard all the things that God wants to do in the earth? Oh, he wants to make us the head and not the tail. He wants to allow us to lend and not borrow. He's going to give us oversight. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And he's going to cause us to be salt and light. And we're going to rule. And we're going to, we're going to be heads over corporations and industries. And, ran, 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 and all those things. And we all stand up and we shout yes and amen. And the whole time not realizing that if God's not first, he's under no obligation to multiply us. In that way. That's why we're all still sitting in malls. Now, I don't despise this moment. I'd rather be in the presence of God in a mall 
than with a bunch of dead men in the most beautiful basilica or cathedral or church that man's hands could build. Better is one day in his house, even in a tent. Come on. I'll go outside under a tree. Better is one day in his presence with God as first under a tree than it would be anywhere else. But, but having said that, that's a right heart. The blessing of God would go over and above these things. Now, the reason this is important is because number two is the, the, that promise is ours as well. In Galatians 3, 13, do you have it, guys, posted on the screen? It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Next verse. That the blessing of who? Say it. The blessing of? Might come upon the? In Christ Jesus. In other words, not just any Gentile, but those that are in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So what that says to us is this, that as we receive Christ and as we receive his provision and as we become born again, saved, converted, that all of a sudden we become spiritually the seed of Abraham. In other words, I'm not Jew by race, but I am by grace. Abraham is not my biological granddad, but through Jesus Christ, the promise of Abraham is now just as much mine as it is anybody that was born Jewish. And it is yours too. So that means everything that was promised under an old covenant has now been redeemed. And we're going to get to this because this is a really cool concept in, in future weeks. It's been redeemed back to us. So now I can be elevated. I can begin to... Uh, uh, steward possessions. I can exercise dominion. Now, I can't do this unless God is what? First. First. Now, the question is, what was required of Abraham in order to be qualified for multiplication in these areas? Now, before we, we, we go any further, let's just talk about the dude that got this whole thing set up. You see, the answer is he had to put God first consistently. Abraham, the Bible says to us, and I'm just giving you several illustrations here. The Bible says that Abraham went to a land that he knew not, not knowing where he was going. That's Hebrews 11.8. How many of you know right now that if you picked up and you just moved somewhere because God told you to move, that would be a pretty good practical indicator that God is what? First. Because I'm quite sure he had lands and farms and he had you know, certain roots in the area and all those sorts of things. But every now and then God will come and he'll just say, am I first and ask us to do things. And one of the things he asked Abraham to do, he said, get up and move. And Abraham goes, well, I'd be happy to do it. Lord, where am I moving to? And he says, you just move. Just move. Well, now it would really be better. You know, I, I could really streamline this thing for you, Lord. If you'd let me, I could Google it. I could get the, I could take the shortest route. I could do all these things. We could get our stuff together. And I, Abraham, am I first? Well, of course you're first. I said move. I said move. All right, we're moving. Now, now, now you're following me, right? That doesn't always make sense, but he moved. Number two, the scripture tells us, in order to demonstrate his God's first nest, Abraham gave a tenth of all he had to Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek in the old, or as my whole history, uh, Old Testament professor years ago used to say, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, Melchizedek. I can't even do it like he did it. 
I just say Melchizedek. But Abraham took one-tenth of all that he had, and Melchizedek really is an Old Testament theophany or a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus, and, and, and he presents to Melchizedek the tithe of all that he had. Now, I know there are a lot of people, and, and it really it's kind of creeping up again in the body, that really wrestles still over the concept of tithe. And they say, well, I'm not under the law. Christ redeemed me from the law. Do you know that Abraham was tithing? In fact, I'll go back. I could, I'm going to take you back to Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to prove to you that tithing was going on 500 years plus before the law was ever given. Tithing is not under the law. Tithing is a precept that works within, within the precept or within the government of God. When you get to Jesus, you know Jesus was a tither. Yeah. The Pharisees wouldn't interact with people who weren't tithers, and they would interact with Jesus. In fact, the only affirmation Jesus ever gave to the Pharisees was this. In Matthew 23, 23, you can go read it for yourself. The only place he ever affirms the Pharisees, and when he says this, rightly... Did you tithe, dill, mint, and cumin? These things you ought to have done without neglecting the weightier things. And so Jesus himself looks at the Pharisees and he says, you guys are missing it in so many areas, but at least you've got this one down apparently. Why is that even important? Why is this whole thing important? It's because God asks in, in several different ways and in different areas of life, he asks of us, Will you demonstrate my firstness? Are you following me? My firstness. And it was after the test that Abraham went through that the Lord takes him out of his tent. Now this is really cool because Abraham does several things that demonstrates his firstness and then God takes him out of the tent and and, and he makes him look towards the sky and it's there that he says, I will multiply your seed. You'll be a father of many nations. Those stars won't even begin to encompass the numbers that will be coming forth from your body. Now, remember now, he didn't have any children. Remember, Abraham and Sarah, kind of older, didn't have any kids. And God's making an impossible promise that he's going to multiply something that is humanly impossible. But Abraham didn't get there until what? He first demonstrated God's firstness. Firstness. Now, there's going to be one more test in all of this. And that is the test that comes from the very text that I mentioned to you out of this Hebrew chapter 6 passage because this is pulled out of Genesis chapter 22. And here in just the last few moments I have Genesis 22. I I, want to talk to you about the story of Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. Now you'll know the story of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was the promise from, from God that was produced out of Abraham and Sarah's dead body. So Isaac is produced. So Isaac, we all know, is the representation of the promise of God. It is the representation of all that God had said he was going to do by way of multiplication. But now all of a sudden there's this promise that shows up or it's maturing in front of him. And God shows up. And one last time he's going to give Abraham the firstness test. What does he do? He says, Abraham... I want you, in fact, let's just read it. It came to pass after these things that God, what? It says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 22, God tested Abraham. Isn't that interesting? And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, 
whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. And it's interesting because even then Abraham knew God was up to something. We will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. So can you imagine the picture? Here they are walking up the mountain, the son of the promise, the only son. This is the only way the promise of God is going to happen. And Isaac looks at Abraham and he says, well, dad, where's the sacrifice? And all of a sudden, in the midst of this whole story, and I'm kind of working in between the lines here a little bit. Abraham looks at his son, Isaac, and he says, son, you're it. What do you mean I'm it, dad? What about the promises? What about... The story that you told me about the stars and the vision and the nations. And I'm the only son you've got. And if I die, how's that going to work? And then Abraham having to look at his only son. Listen, looking at his son. And he says, son, God was first long before I had you. Oh, that one will preach. That'd be a great Father's Day message right there. Some of us worship our kids. Oh, oh, we'll, we'll sacrifice for our kids, won't we? See how I got quiet there? Because right now I'm challenging firstness. Firstness. So Abraham looks at him and he says, Son, God was first long before I had you. And this is the amazing thing. I still think this is amazing. Isaac submitted is that not incredible? Could you imagine your kids doing that? I could imagine killing them, but I can't imagine. I can't, I can't imagine them submitting to it. There have been several occasions I've seen Mount Moriah in the distance. But Abraham grabs his hair like he grabs sheep on a hundred different occasions and all of a sudden puts the knife up to Isaac's throat like he would the goats and the lambs and the other animals when it came time to sacrifice and when it came time to do the work of butchering and he, and he put the knife up to Isaac's throat when all of a sudden an angel appears at that particular moment and the angel stops his hand from doing any damage to Isaac and what was really interesting is in the New King, King James Version, it, it, it doesn't have it quite as interestingly as in the NIV. And I put it on the screen. Genesis 22, verse 12 says this in the NIV. The angel says this, Now I know that God is first in your life. It wasn't theory, was it? It wasn't something on paper. I know what we all say. Well, yeah, Lord, I'd give it to you. Everything I have is yours. 
It's like the rich young ruler. Oh, yeah, yeah, I want to follow the Lord. Everything I have is yours. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, sell it all then. Well, I never thought you'd really. (laughs) I mean, on paper, it's all yours. I mean, I really mean it in my heart. It's all yours. Well, then sell it. Well, wait a minute now. Whoa, whoa, you see, you see, that's uh, whoa, 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 whoa. There will always be a test in all of our lives. The test may be different. It may be the same. But God will always find a way to push the first nest button in our life. You see, Abraham could have rejected the command of God and kept the boy. Think about what he could have done. Hey, God, you surely you couldn't be asking this. This is the promised one. This is the guy that you're going to use in order to fulfill all of that. I can't believe you would even ask that of me because I'm just telling you, it just seems outlandish, out of the way. And isn't it amazing how often we try to negotiate with God out of his firstness? But is it not also interesting that if he had chosen that day to have kept his son and not demonstrated firstness in his life, he would have never gone any further than the door of his tent. You see, there always comes a moment you have to answer the question, does God really come first? You know why those who say they love God and are Christians, and let let me tell you, I'm not questioning people's love for God, I'm not. I'm not even questioning maybe their saved experience. But I can tell you this, as a church and as the body, particularly here in America, the reason we never see multiplication of any kind in our lives is because the Lord is a part of our life, but he's wanting to be first in our life. Are you following me? We look at people and say, do you love God? And they all go, well, yeah, I love God. I I do. I love the Lord. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. But boy, when you start analyzing where he fits in all of their priorities, it's amazing to me whether or not that's really first. You see, I, I recognize that in America, for most people, he's on the list somewhere. But the question is, where on the list have you placed him? Now, we got to talk about this in coming weeks because, you see, we're frustrated with God or we're frustrated at teaching or we're frustrated at, at some prosperity or multiplication instruction. We're frustrated that it ain't working in our lives. But you got to understand, until God is first, He's not obligated under covenant to multiply anything. Now, you might not like it, but we didn't set up the rules. And the question we have to get to before we get to this place is, are we, are you, am I at a place where we are qualified to be multiplied? Is he first? Now, I just started, I'm just telling you, man, Tracy and I don't speak to you guys unless this gets filtered through our own lives. I'm just telling you, man, this, this stuff gets filtered through our lives before it gets to you. I mean, I started to think back through my life that every time God has worked the most miraculous and amazing things in our life, honey, every time it was during a test of whether or not he was first or not. I, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget when I was first saved And my whole environment was unconducive and certainly unsympathetic to my newfound Christian faith. But I saw some amazing, miraculous things take place early in my life. I mean, God called me. He opened doors. He gave me influence. And beyond my years, I don't even know if God was smart in doing that. But every day, every day usually I was making decisions over whether or not God was first or not. Listen to me. I'm saying 
these are the decisions I made early in my life. And listen carefully. I'm not saying things like vacation's wrong, but oftentimes there'd be things that, that God was doing or wanted me to participate in, and my parents would have a vacation opportunity planned, and literally I... I, I could not do that anymore. Now, is there anything wrong with me going? No. Is there anything wrong with having a vacation? No. I plan on taking a vacation this summer. But listen to me. There comes moments when everything gets touched as to whether or not God is first. I know people who vacation every other week. Oh, but they love God, really. But they're never in the house of God. But he's first. Okay. Well, you just, you don't know my heart. No, I know this. I know right action, right heart, and right order means multiplication. I remember when we were baptized in the Holy Ghost and we left California and we began to consider how we were going to live and how we were going to survive. I mean, I left with $300 in my pocket to my name. That's all I had to my name was $300 and a credit card that put gas in the U-Haul that got me across America. What's God going to do? How's he going to do it? All I know is to say he said, go. And we saw miracles happen in our life because there are those moments that you demonstrate his firstness. I'm not touting myself as the one to emulate. I'm just simply saying I evaluated my life and saying I could go through whether it was leaving a, a comfortable position in the upstate to come here to Charleston, whether it was starting legacy, folks. I'm telling you, we didn't have enough money in the bank account that when Legacy got started, we didn't know where our next check was coming to make the house payment from. But I can tell you this, when we determined God was first and his word was first and we were going to declare his firstness, whether anybody would follow or like it or understand it or not, God did miracles. Miracles. We are here today because of miracles. Those miracles happened when we determined God was first. Not in theory. This isn't theory. This is reality. I'm just going to stop there this morning. We'll just leave it at that. But I want to ask you the question as you're standing. Would you all stand right now? I, I, I can't define for you every moment that God's calling you to demonstrate firstness. You can be glad I'm not the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm glad I'm not the Holy Ghost either. I'd have killed everybody. I just, I'd have, they'd, they'd, we wouldn't have anybody. I'd have shot myself by now. I just. So praise God, pastor's not the Holy Ghost. So I, 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 I can't define every first nest for your life. I can define some things because they're defined in here. And we'll get there. There's some things God says I want you to do as my people that will define firstness. And, and we, can, we can do that. But, but don't, be, don't think that it's just the one or two things I can pull up out of here and, and you're good to go. Remember, it's right action, right heart, and right order. And he is going to give you a moment or two or ten where he says, before I multiply, I want to know if you'll pass the first nest test, am I really first? It may boggle your mind, but, I, 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 but the Lord's saying, am I really first? And this is what I want to do in these last moments. If you've never made Jesus first, I realize, that's just how I'm going to give the invitation. I want to pray for people this morning that would already say, you know what? 
Pastor, you haven't even got into the meat of this stuff. We're just in introductory territory, and I'm recognizing that I need to probably get before the Lord and say, Lord, I love you. If somebody were to ask me if I was a Christian, I'd have certainly said yes. And I'm not suggesting you'd be lying. But really, the Holy Spirit's dealing with you about the order, the placement of where he's at in your life. Is he first? Before we go, here's the deal. The deal is, is that you just simply say to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just repenting from the fact that I put you at second, third, fifth, tenth, or wherever it was, and I'm just saying that today I'm determining. However it shakes, I want you first in my life. I want to be qualified to multiply. I want to give you first place. In this silence right now, would you just begin to slip out and come? And we're going to pray. And it isn't going to take long to do this, and I'm going to cut you loose. But I want, I want you to just say, Lord, there's just some areas that I know you're already talking to me about first. I, I, I want you first, first. And I, and I want you to hear me. I, I, and I'm looking as people are walking, and I know you love God. There's no, not a question in my heart, and not in God's either, that you don't love God, love the Lord. And you're doing a lot of right actions, and, and your heart can even be right, but it's the order order but here's what you're presenting yourself it's it's not for god to nail you it's for you to be qualified to multiply see hayward i believe god has such an incredible future for you i believe that i just believe that honestly i believe i have futures just i want i want the whole congregation just look at people here and maybe look at the person next to you and just begin to envision can you imagine all the purpose and plan and will of God. And, and, he's, and he's there going, I want to multiply it to you. In multiplication, I will multiply. Surely I will bless you. He swears on himself. And all that he requires is that he be what? First. First. Now, I, like I said, I don't know how he's going to touch you on this because he's going to do it in unique ways. But if we demonstrate his firstness, he will demonstrate his faithfulness. He is faithful to those who put him first.